Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, American Ambulance's medical director. I'm here with our fantastic co-hosts, Dr. Patil Armenian and Dr. Sajin Bakta. Hello. Hi, everyone. We have two guests with us today, Ms. Amy Campbell and Mr. Kurt Kendig. Thank you for having me. Hello. Today, we're going to be talking about quality improvement. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of American's family. Help is on the way, got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. Thank you, Kurt and Amy, for being here today. We want to hear a little bit about yourselves, how you got into this realm of EMS and your interests. So Amy, kick us off. So I've been the PLN for Community Regional Medical Center for approximately nine years Um, I started at UMC as an emergency department RN, and I've always had a passion for EMS. I love interacting with the EMS crews and how they integrate into our hospital and that we work together as a team for the betterment of patients. Fantastic. Well, thanks for your years of service to our community. Thank you. I've been a paramedic for about 32 years now, all here at American Ambulance, and I've been the clinical coordinator and PLO for about a minute and a half. Um, I just recently replaced Cindy Schuler, who retired. My experience is in education, sky life, and as a field supervisor for 16 years as well. Well, fantastic. Well, thanks for being on today and excited to discuss all things quality improvement related. Let's go through some definitions. Sajin, you want to kick us off? So quality assurance refers to the identification, assessment, correction, and monitoring of important aspects of patient care. It is more on the inspection side for medical errors. Quality improvement, as defined by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, is the framework used to systematically improve care. So to do the same thing in the same way every time to make sure that everyone's doing the right thing. When done right, quality improvement can deliver sustained improvements, not only in the quality, experience, productivity, and outcomes of care, but also in the lives of the people working in healthcare. In quality improvement, an error is looked at as an opportunity to learn, as quality improvement is the intentional process of making system-level changes in clinical processes with a continuous reassessment to improve the delivery of a product. So in our case, quality improvement is we want to improve the EMS system to take care of patients as best as we can. So we all know that uh, medical errors create serious public health problems and are substantial threats to patient safety. And just to break it down, there are two major types of errors. Uh, one is errors of omission, and these are result of actions not taken. So an example is not stabilizing a gurney prior to patient transfer, and then the patient falls. Another is errors of commission um, as a result of the wrong action taken. So an example is administering a medication to which the patient has a known allergy. Healthcare professionals get a lot of psychological effects such as anger, guilt, inadequacy, depression, and even suicide due to real or perceived medical errors. And the threat of impending legal action may compound these feelings. And so, you know, when clinicians equate errors with failure, 
breach of public trust and harming patients despite their mandate to first do no harm, this can be um, have a really strong effect on them. I think it all comes down to the fact also that a lot of errors are not just dependent on that single person involved, um, but as the system as a whole, because errors are multifactorial. And so these really represent an opportunity for constructive changes and improved ed- education and healthcare delivery as a whole, and not just as what did one person do that was wrong, but let's look at what's going on in the whole system that leads to this, and then how can we improve this so that care is improved in the future. So let's start out with our two guests here. Kurt, as clinical coordinator at American Ambulance, you have a brand new active role in quality improvement. Tell us about your role in the agency and kind of uh, your your mission or your passion about this. So yes, I was just recently uh, started in this position, mainly because as clinical coordinator, we'd really like to move our quality assurance and quality improvement towards education. And that's a lot of what my background is. Um, Most of the people from our agency who are listening to this has probably had a class from me at one time or another. And it is one of my passions. I also teach a paramedic class. And I'd really like improvement to come through a discussion about the issue or the concern and some education and then move on. Let's talk about some stats for a second of QIs or quality improvement issues that have taken place um, per year. So there's about 150,000 EMS calls a year in our system. So we're a pretty big EMS system. How many QIs are generated from American EMS, would you say, in the past year? Probably right around 100 directly relating to to our uh, clinicians. And so really the stats on that are pretty good. So good job to the EMS crews listening. That's fantastic. Let's jump to Amy. So you're the pre-hospital liaison nurse for Community Regional Medical Center, which is our level one trauma center here in the region. So tell us about your role in that. Um, So my role is PLN, kind of what Kurt says, is I like to focus a lot on education. Um, My role as PLN is I help educate the MICNs um, or the emergency room nurses to become MICNs. For the crew listening, just in case, what's MICN stand for? Sorry, yes, mobile intensive care nurses. And those are the nurses that are trained to answer the radio and provide uh, base hospital orders or consults uh, for the EMS providers in our four-county area. Um, I also, with Dr. Macias, our base hospital physician, we train the new residents in their second year of residency to become base hospital physicians. Um, We also put on um, education for all the MICNs within our four-county area with tape reviews. And I do a lot of chart review. Um, Yeah. Now, when you do chart review, a lot of times you're great at picking up on errors of omission or commission that were made. And um, how many QIs are generated at a CRMC, would you say? So usually by the end of the year um, from the four-county area, we get up to the 250s to the 280s. RMC's involvement with those QIs, I would probably say, is almost 50% of those QIs that are either involving a patient coming to us or involving some sort of consult involving us. Great. We're just going to go around the room and ask you guys some questions and feel free either one of you to jump in first and answer. But I'd like to start out with both of you. Is like, what's your vision for quality improvement in our system? I would actually like quality improvement to continue along the educational and not punitive uh, line. We've said that for years. Um, we've said QIs are educational. They're not punitive. I'm not so sure that the majority of the providers out there believe that. And I would like to change that. And I'd like to change that with my education. My vision would be that people would feel comfortable enough walking into the office and saying, hey, I have a 
call that I have a question about. I might have made a mistake. Can we look at it together and have that be the opening rather than a, a retrospective review or a review by somebody else? I would rather the, the, the individual come forward with a question, have a conversation, learn from it, and move on. And that's my dream as medical director of this agency is to have people QA themselves. Like, hey, I gave the wrong dose of fentanyl. Let me fill out this funny form, but I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to learn my dose. I'm going to review the protocol. And then that education is totally done. So kind of more self-directed. And we do that a lot in the hospital with near misses. We actually have a near miss committee and we declare near misses. Now, a lot of us have pride involved and you kind of like, oh, I can't believe it is near miss. But by sharing those near misses, we prevent others from the same mistakes as us. Amy, what about you? What's your um, vision for quality improvement? Very much similar to what Kurt says, which is why I'm so excited that he has this position. Um, Also looking at education. I think we are humans, so we are going to err. But sometimes it's even when doing the best thing that we are doing, maybe it's not the human, it's the policy or the protocol that needs to be looked at. Or maybe it's just an oversight that they didn't get an education. Um, For example, today I was doing chart review and I was looking at this one um, chart and the paramedic worked this uh, medical arrest for an extensive period of time. And I was wondering why they had decided to work it with a rhythm of asystole. And then when I saw that they had done three IV attempts and then went to the IO, it happened to be that this paramedic was there at the hospital and I pulled the paramedic in and I'm like, you know, you can go directly to IO now. And he was like, oh, I didn't, I was not aware of that. And this was a change, a wording change that was done in one of our protocols uh, several months ago. So even something just talking to the EMS crews involved, it might just be like, oh, I didn't even know that that change had occurred because it is a very rapidly changing system that we work in. I think that brings up a great point. We're such a big system, getting the information out to all the crews, the boots on the ground, and that these changes happen in protocol. Questions from the group for Amy and Kurt? Well, I have more of a comment first, which is just that I think traditionally we do think of people reviewing your cases as something punitive. And this is something that I've dealt with on the hospital side as, you know, cases being reviewed by other doctors and uh And it took many years actually for our hospital to change kind of the culture of how we do peer review. And so now we we have evolved to a more educational model like this. But still, every single time somebody has a case um, and I have to I'm on the committee and I have to call one of those doctors or, or meet with them face to face. They automatically think it's just like going to be me berating them about why their case went wrong. And usually it's just a simple like. Tell me, tell me what happened, and what do you think we can do to like fix this in the future? And they're all, they always walk away like, oh, I didn't know that was going to be an okay interaction. They come from a point of being defensive initially, like, oh, mm-hmm. I must have done something wrong. I'm going to be in trouble. It's thought of as being punitive, and I think a lot of that's just changing the culture and just like, let's sit down. Like, what happened? Like, how do you think we, you could have done better? Is it is it the wording that we could make better? So. I think that's important to know. And I think yeah. EMS and in the hospital in emergency medicine, of course, you're making split second snap decisions based off of limited information. Of course, sitting in your desk days later looking at you like, oh, they could have done this, they could have done that. But in the heat of battle, a lot of times, you know, you made the best decision you could at that moment. And I think that's why we have the protocols and why we change the protocols uh, so that when we identify these things, they can be part of our standard practice and we don't have to think as much and we can just rely on our muscle memory and our knowledge and our protocols to guide us in those situations. 
Now, are there any common issues you guys feel are coming up a lot right now regarding any protocols or any specific things? Uh, currently, the CQI committee that all of us sit on with CCMSA um, and our other hospitals, um, we've been running into, we've been coming across um, CPAP use without medication. Um, it kind of has become more difficult in the era of COVID with a few of the special memos, with a special memo that we currently have in practice. Um, but this has been an ongoing problem for about the last six to seven years that we continue to struggle with on why EMS providers are not administering the meds um, prior to um, applying CPAP. And so just to clarify is- for our audience, this is in two protocols, right? So it's for CPAP with meds and CHF, so they need nitro first, and CPAP um, in, with albuterol and respiratory For bronchospasms, yes, correct. Our numbers have gotten better, we have improved, and we still continue to um, see um, several patients that are just being placed on CPAP without any meds prior to. And what are some of the things that you have done to try and address that? American has been fantastic with their education rollout. I know that they do um, a lot of in-service CE before COVID. Um, It's been a little bit more difficult now that COVID has limited our in-person education. But podcast, um, I know there's been two podcasts put out on CPAP use um, and just getting the education out from the hospitals to the nurses and from the PLOs to the EMS providers. Um, I know one of the things that's currently in the works is a survey, a post-CPAP application survey to give individuals a way to express why they may have varied or or didn't apply medications or what the circumstances were. And they're trying really hard to make that a little more timely and not quite so long removed from the calls. But we may be seeing a survey monkey or type survey soon coming to providers who actually use CPAP. And I think a lot of it is the education. You know, CPAP is a nice, easy fix for their breathing. And so I feel like even in the emergency department, we say, okay, put this on them. But really, it's the meds that are changing the physiology behind the respiratory distress. So I think it's just education to our troops about why those medications are so important. But we need to continue to do more efforts um, because that definitely is a Central California EMS agency-like initiative for the past few years. And we know they're tracking it on a monthly basis. What about you, Kurt? What about the most common issues or protocols you're seeing in this this last month of your uh, working in this arena? A lot of things that come to me are border uh, between whether they're operational or, or actually clinical. I know that we have had some interesting applications of the 571 policy. A lot of people have a lot of concern about that. They have For questions. our audience, it's not local. Explain 571. Oh. Uh, so 571 is... Uh, a policy that allows us to assess and refer patients who have uh, meet parameters and have relatively minor complaints and are within uh, a normal set of vital signs to a less acute uh, facility, encouraging them to use telemedicine, uh, their private physician, or one of the retail clinics that are available to them, as opposed to going to the ED. In 32 years, the last three months is the only time that I've ever said no to a patient that asked for a transport on a 911 call. It's new and it's changing. There are some issues that come up and some concerns that come up with with those patients. So it's a lot of what I've seen in addition to a few uh, CPAP calls and, and a few others. 
Now, over the years, have you guys seen any protocols actually change because of things that were brought up in this process? Um, so, yeah, so there was um, one of the protocol changes, or maybe it's just a process change, is um, in traumatic arrest patients, our protocol reads that they should have um, bilateral needle thoracostomies performed on scene prior to leaving the scene. And after looking at several cases, um, it was determined that the 10-gauge or the 14-gauge needles at that time were in the unit. They were not brought to the scene in the uh, gear bag. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt. And so as simple as just moving where the needles were placed in the unit in the equipment bag um, allowed us to increase our numbers in getting those bilateral needle thoracostomies done on scene. I would also like to add one of our recent changes was the ability to give Versed um, an agitated patient um, without a base hospital call-in. There was quite a few quality improvement cases that came through where, you know, a medic would get assaulted or things would go on because they have to call for permission. And that came out in the last month or two where it got switched where they can give the initial dose without calling in and then call in for additional doses. That's great. What a simple change that could make so much difference in, you know, either the safety or a medic or in the case of traumatic arrest. I mean, these are just really simple things that can make big differences. And I like to say a lot of these issues come up because the paramedic, the MT, QI'd it initially, right? This protocol says this, and then this happened. And that's one way to make change in a big system like ours is to go through the quality improvement process. So I know it's paperwork to fill out. Um, but I know, Kurt Name, you're always there to help us fill out paperwork. So if you are on on a call and you feel like the protocol is not helping you, you know, please bring those up for change to be made. Yeah, that's why we sit on a CQI continuous group. quality yeah, improvement continuous quality um, improvement um, meetings with CCMSA, and we have multiple. Um, we have all the other hospitals. We have um, Jamie from Dispatch, and so it has lots of different points of view that. Just it takes it takes a lot of people to look at different uh, points of view to make the system better. A lot of those QIs really help in the procedural things, especially if you have serial QIs about the same procedure. It's going to draw attention to that procedure and maybe help move along the sometimes slow process of change um, with policies and procedures and protocols. I think another perfect example of that is the IOs and medical codes, right? Um, the language used to say you need three IV attempts before going straight to IO. And so there's a lot of QIs generated about that. And then now it's switched. You can go straight to IO in a medical code. So that's great improvement. See, that's really good to know because if you're a medic and you're working and out in the field and all of a sudden you keep encountering one protocol and you're like, this seems like a flaw or this is out of order, then you can definitely... QI a case and get that conversation started. Exactly. And we really encourage that. I want to see more medics, hopefully QI, more issues, more system things that help us make the system better. And I did want to mention, I know we talk about, you know, the paramedics or the the EMS crews being um, under QI and and having things pointed out. But um, at least from the RMC perspective, I look at what my MICNs do and make sure that they are following policies. And for an example, in the MCI, if the paramedic is on scene and not using met tag numbers, which is part of the policy, and the MICN does not ask for them and just continues on, I mean, with the paramedic not using met tag numbers, um, it's not fair to have them put under a microscope when the MICN is just as responsible as having them maybe calming the paramedic down on a very chaotic scene to say, hey, let's get your met tag numbers assigned and then do your callback. Um, providing a little bit of a calm in a very chaotic scene. So our MICNs are looked at 
and get QI'd also. I think that hits home the perfect point of quality improvement um, by CMS is to improve all aspects of healthcare, right? It's also um, the hospital can be involved in a QI also. The physicians can be involved in part of QI. It's not just EMS personnel only. So it's for the, it's the whole system. Everyone. Everyone gets QI'd. All of us. <laughs> or educated, maybe just policy yeah. review and, hey, yeah. how come you you gave this med when the protocol says to give this amount? And on that, I want to make a comment. A lot of people say, well, just educate me. You know, don't fill out the actual paperwork of the QI. And one of the reasons why we do that paperwork is so we can track it. Because if a certain policy has a bunch of QIs, you know, then we're going to look at that more as a system. But if we just educate people and don't put it through the system, then nobody knows that that is having an effect. And so I think that's why we have to do the paperwork part of it. Plus, our system is so big. Um, We have so many players, so many pre-hospital agencies, hospitals. That way, if we're having an issue up in Fresno County, it's probably a pretty good guess that they are having the same issues down in Tulare County. So it's important to get them documented within CCMSA and so we can track them. Exactly. Any other questions for our guests before we wrap up? So one other question I have um, is if you guys have any specific QI goals for the upcoming year. I would like to see our continuing education be more data evidence driven based on QI Um, or identified QI issues or concerns. I'd like to be able to say, hey, we have this many issues with CPAP, so maybe it's time for us to review CPAP on our CEA website. I'd like the education to come more to the forefront in this process. Uh, My goal would be to continue focusing on the, uh, pay a little bit more attention to documentation, which kind of supports um, Kurt's idea, because a lot of the issues um, is documentation related. And to get good data, the documentation has to be correct. So if you are doing treatments, um, they can't, CCMSA cannot pull data from the narrative um, part of the patient care report. It has to come from the, the treatment section. So The documentation is there, but it's just not always put into the treatment section where it can be um, taken and ran. That's a great point for with data-driven decisions. You know, it's got to be the garbage in, garbage out, right? Put good data in, good data out. It really helps drive systems. And so that individual paramedic, that individual EMT who's filling out that PCR, you probably don't think it matters in the big system, but it does. Because we can track how many needles were done about the whole system, then you can pull out those cases. But if the needle thoracostomy wasn't put in in the right treatment section, we can't grab that case at all. Yeah, I think from a nursing standpoint, we were always taught if it's not documented, it wasn't done. And it still rings true 20 years, 20 plus years later. It's even more important because a lot of a lot of uh, systems are data driven. And if you got to get the money or the support there, they want to know the data that that is behind the request. That makes sense. Well, thank you for being here today. Let's go around to our take-home points. If medics listening, EMTs listening, I'll remember one thing. What do you want them to remember about quality improvement? Kurt? Uh, I'm going to use a quote. It's a Winston Churchill quote. All people make mistakes. Wise people learn from their mistakes. And I would like for all of us to become more wise. That's fantastic. Amy? I was actually going to use that exact same quote. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is, we need to change the culture and make it more education focused instead of people feeling that they are being penalized. I think remember that you're probably not the only person to be making this mistake or doing things a little bit differently. And it's an opportunity for all of us to learn. And I think QI is really great for making the system better as a whole. So just think about it also in the systems point of view. Yeah. And I like to reiterate all those points and also say that 
feel free to QI yourself or QI your own case if you feel like it could have gone better and there's any, your insight is super helpful when you write out what could have helped that and to help change, to make change in our system. So thanks everyone for all you do out there. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, And we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.